Dear God, we lift these to you today, and we just say thank you for the healing. We thank you, Lord, today we heard a good report from many people. But, Lord, many people today need comfort and peace. And these that have been mentioned, we pray that you would blanket them with the comfort of your spirit, the Holy Comforter. And, dear God, today you would touch every life that has been mentioned. And even now, if someone has thought of somebody, that, dear God, we lift them to you this day and we stand in the gap. We pray today, Father, in what we do here at Lighthouse Fellowship, the foundation of prayer, as we pray for those who are in need, as we pray for our church, as we pray today uh, for missions, uh, the people all over the world, we pray today you would guide us and direct us in our prayers. And we pray today, dear God, that your grace would abound in our hearts. We pray today we would really experience that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And no matter what adversity we may face, we pray today that we would delight ourselves in the Lord. And we would be obedient. We pray today, dear God, that you would fill us and you would use us for your glory and your honor. And we pray today, dear God, that you truly would enter in to times of our adversity and times of challenge. That we would look to you. And dear Lord, help us always to remember, although we know we hurt and we're afflicted, Jesus said that we would be persecuted, that we would face adversity. But when we do, dear Lord, help us to keep in mind, this is about you. And it's not about us. It's about you, and we can celebrate you each and every day. And dear God, it's not something that we're going through the motions on. We really do, and we're thankful down deep. And so, dear God, by your Spirit, we ask you to work that in our hearts because, Lord, we're not able to, but by your Spirit, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so, dear Lord, today, these situations, we know you're there, but would you enter into these things and these things that have been mentioned? And dear God, today, we ask you to bring peace and healing, deliverance, and we pray today, may the comfort of your spirit abound in our hearts. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Turn in your Bible to the book of Jude, right before Revelation. The book of Jude. Not a very uh, talked about subject today. It's sometimes not real popular because we live in a culture where we don't want to talk about negative things. And we don't. And I don't. I'm positive. And I'm encouraged today. Are you encouraged today? I pray this message will be encouraging to you also. Because the title of this message is, Hell is a Real Place. Okay. Hell is is a real place. And I'll tell you how I came upon talking about this this past week and what I put together. I usually, I'll walk probably five nights a week at night. I'll walk. I like to walk. And I got out, and I, I believe the Lord spoke to my heart and, and touched me in my heart. And somehow I was just overwhelmed when I thought about the multitudes of people who obviously are not in church, but the many, many people who are not saved today, the many people, like, for example, when you see in the New Year's celebration there in New York City that the uh, ball drops down right at uh, when the change into the new year, and you see, I guess, ever how many millions of people in crowds packed up against one another, and I look at sometimes those crowds, and I, I look and I wonder, I'm going, how many people in that crowd are saved and are really born again, that really know Jesus, have really trusted Jesus? Sometimes you see 
on television. You see mass numbers of people. And sometimes when I see that, then I'm just overwhelmed. And my heart is burdened because possibly many of these people have never received Jesus into their life as their Lord and Savior. And this subject today, I don't believe anybody likes to talk about. In fact, probably not preached from the pulpits very regularly and not much at all, but we know hell is a real place. And in Jude, we'll just look at verses 4 through 7, and then we'll talk about it. Let's look at it and read it. Verses 4 through 7. For some men who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into promiscuity and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. Now, I want to remind you, though, you know all these things. The Lord first saved a people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. And He has kept with eternal chains and darkness for the judgment of the great day, the angels who did not keep their own position but deserted their proper dwelling. And in the same way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them committed sexual immorality and practiced perversions just as angels did and serve as example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Eternal fire. You know, we are in a major spiral a spiral going downward in this country today. And we have to discuss and even possibly go into the courts and what gender can go into particular bathrooms. We are in a tailspin as far as immorality is concerned in the United States of America. Now, I know things are happening all over, but I certainly know what's happening here in this country and I lend an ear to these things because that's indicative because I believe that we are in the last of the last days. I believe Jesus could come back at any time. And my heart's burdened for people who have not been saved because the Bible says that Jesus is the only way to God. There is no other way. We're not talking about a myth. And we're not talking about some of the theologies that we have out there now that people buy into. And one of them is is that once a person dies, if they've never accepted Jesus Christ in their life, that at some point they're just completely annihilated, that they just uh, sort of uh, go into a, a, a non-existent state. They just sort of vanish, so to speak. And that's not what my Bible says. There is eternity in that eternal fire. And that is all who have not been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In a national poll conducted several years ago by USA Today, 67% of American adults said they believe in a hell. But less than 25% believe that they would go there. While 25% believe their friends will be there. Well, I want to tell you, if hell is not real and everybody's going to get to go to heaven then we might as well go ahead and close the doors of Lighthouse Fellowship and go home and enjoy what life we have. We might as well just go ahead and cease and desist what we're doing here on this earth. But I want to tell you today 
is that hell is a real place. I'm not talking about some type of state of mind. I'm talking about a place there, actually. And many of you sometimes today, well, you're saying, boy, Jim, this is, this is tough here. Oh, yes, it is. But it is a wake-up call. And I pray what God's Spirit says to you in this place today and to me as I speak it, is that somehow that we would have a burden and see and pray for those that are lost. Pray for those who have never received salvation. There's only one way to heaven. There's only two places that you go. One way to heaven, the other way is to hell. Strangely enough, a newer poll conducted by U.S. News and World Report in actually 2000 reveals that more Americans today believe in hell than they ever did in the 1950s or even 10 years before, say, around 1990. But most people think that hell is in an anguished state of existence here rather than a real place. I want to tell you today, the devil believes in hell as being a real place. You may not believe in hell this morning, and you may think that it's just a state of mind, but one old revival preacher said it like this. He said, you not believing in hell can't lower the temperature there one degree. Whether you believe it or not, it is a horrible place to be in that place of eternal fire. And we don't like to actually think about the reality of hell. We often hear the statement, I don't believe that a good God would send anyone to hell. And that, that statement is based on error and inconsistency of the highest order. We never make the statement, how could a good judge sentence a mass murder to death for his crimes? How could he do that? The same way for us, you see. And the judge is not responsible for that man being sentenced to death. That man's actions are. And your actions and my actions and decisions that I make are what really is where it's all at. And we know that obviously, as we talk about the reality of hell, maybe we're confronted with the fact that you know people today that have already come to your mind that have never received Jesus. It might be your neighbor. I've got neighbors, and I know they don't go to church. I've got people all in the community. You won't see them getting out and going to church on Sunday. You won't see them leaving to go. You'll never see that happen. It's said that for the Christian, the earth is the only hell that he will know. And for the non-Christian, earth is the only heaven that he or she will know. And that's true. Obviously, when a non-Christian does not receive Jesus, you know, they may have a good time here on this earth, but one day they'll stand before the judgment seat of God Almighty and they'll give an account in whether or not they've received Jesus Christ into their lives. You know, today you may be sitting beside somebody who is lost forever and will vanish out into the fires of hell. We don't know that. Only God knows our hearts. Do you know that you're saved here? Mothers and fathers, when you look at your children, if you, you don't make a service to God and believe in Jesus and trust Jesus here, a reality for your child, they may exist eternally in torment. They're not going to care about all the fishing trips that you took them on or the little league games or the movies that you ever took them on. They're not going to care that you gave them a car or you gave them a college education. It could be your fishing buddy or your best friend or the guys you work with every day. They're not going to care that you laughed at their coarse jokes and bought them lunch or if you, you know, somehow you think that you can reject the salvation offered by God through Jesus Christ, His Son. 
then hell is your destiny. If you're one of those people that have not truly been converted to Christ Jesus, hell is your destiny. If you're one of those hypocrites Jesus speaks about, hell is your destiny. And if you're one of those people who believe that just because your name is on a church roll somewhere, but you don't live for Jesus, hell is your destiny. And I want to talk about a couple of things here, first of all. Number one is there has been a shift in the view of hell. There was a time that preachers talked about the destination of the wicked. And Jonathan Edwards, we know in the 1700s, he delivered a classic sermon entitled, Sinners Falling into the Hands of a Living God. And thousands of people streamed to the altars to be saved. Somewhere along the line, people have become more concerned with what came to be called the practicalities of Christian living. Somewhere along the line, we've bought into this type of positive thinking is going to somehow get us into the, the pearly gates of heaven. There's nothing wrong with thinking positively, but it will not get you into heaven. Today And speaking all those things today that you hear and there are large crowds being brought in as a result of that because no one today, it seems like, that I've heard are talking and is talking about the reality of hell. No one is saying that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. No one is talking about the fact that the only way we can come into the presence of the Lord is through the sacrifice of Of Jesus Christ who arose from the grave on the third day. No one's talking about that today because, oh my goodness, we might upset the congregation. We might upset the apple cart in our theology and what people believe today. Well, let me tell you today, I know there's a real place called hell. I know there's a place of eternal torment. Do you? Do you believe in it today or do you believe it in just some type of state of mind? People say, well, this is hell here. No, it's not either. And they'll say here in in Houston, Texas, well, it's just as hot as blank here, isn't it? And I go, oh, you don't know anything about how hot it's going to get if you don't know Jesus. Oh, Houston's nothing compared to that. And the humidity in hell has got to be horrible also. And I want to tell you where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, that to me doesn't sound good to begin with. How about to you? I don't like that to begin with. What that actually implies... There's been a tremendous emphasis on the goodness and grace of God, to be sure. But the reality of hell has all but disappeared from our pulpits. The second thing is the reality of hell has been undermined in our society here. You've heard the jokes about uh, shoveling coal. You know, you've heard the joke about the salesman, and he was such a good salesman that he could sell air conditioners to the devil. You've heard there, man, man was, was happy to be in hell because at last he could have some peace and quiet from his wife. You've heard those jokes, haven't you? You know, the only peace and quiet. Oh, he doesn't know anything about it if he wants peace and quiet. When if he goes to hell. Willie and Willie Nelson's birthday bash on a television a few years ago, Aerosmith's lead singer, Stephen Tyler, said this, Happy birthday, Willie. Here's hoping that we'll have twice as much fun in hell as we did here on earth trying to get there. People make a joke of it, don't they? They don't believe that there is a hell. But let me tell you today, there is. And the Word of God spells it out very, very distinctly. A flood of false doctrine 
has lately broken in upon us. Men are beginning to tell us that, that God is too merciful to punish souls forever. That all of mankind, however wicked and ungodly, will soon or later be saved. And there's nothing in my Bible and there's nothing in your Bible that says anything about that at all. Nothing at all. I was in a gas station this past week. And this was after walking and I wept as I began to just think about the number of people that don't know Jesus. As I walked past homes in the neighborhood that I walk in and my heart was broken. And I know sometimes this is God wanting to give me that gift of repentance in my heart also. But I also wept for those who are lost. God needs to break our hearts and give us a spirit of brokenness to break, our, break us to see people. In their lost condition. But I was in a gas station. And I was there standing. And a song was on the radio. And I caught the words of probably this young lady singing. In some of the pop music that's sung nowadays. And the words went like this. Even if I can't find heaven. I'd walk through hell with you. Just to be with you. Even if I can't find heaven. I'd walk through hell with you just to be with you. And this was repetitious through the whole song. And I thought that singer has no idea what she's singing. She does not understand the severity of these things. I pray that she gets saved if she's not saved. We are to embrace, sometimes people say, what could be called as a kinder theology and treat hell as a pagan fable. And this question lies at the very foundation of the whole gospel, the moral attributes of God, his justice, his holiness, his purity are all involved in it. The scripture has spoken plainly and fully on the subject of hell. If words mean anything, there is a place called hell. There is a place, hell. If texts are to be interpreted fairly, there are those who will be cast into it. And the same Bible which teaches that God in mercy and compassion sent Christ to die for sinners also teaches that God hates sin and must from His very nature punish all who cleave to sin or refuse the salvation that He has provided. Hell is not a place of fun and games. Notice Jude says this, Godless men have slipped in among you and these men have changed the grace of God into a license for immorality. And the word immorality here simply means self-centered, lustful indulgence. They justify doing those God-worldly things that give self-satisfaction. They deny Jesus Christ as our only Lord and Savior here. And that word deny means that they're acting contrary to what Jesus as Lord and Savior demands of their character and life. They're untrue and they're false Christians. A lot of the people, most of them, that I went in on a hospice situation, most of the time, over the years, hundreds of people, if they were not of another religion, they would have down there that they were Christians. And I would go in and try to find out what church they went to and ask, you know, about their faith and so forth. And, and uh, many of them had no idea in the holiness of God They had no idea about what it meant to be really saved and born again. Jesus told Nicodemus that you must be born again. We cannot enter to the heaven in this state. 
We must be born again. We must be converted. We must believe. There must be a changed life when you and I receive Jesus Christ into our lives. There has to be evidence of that today. And many times people will say immediately, well, I'm Christian, why? why?" And a lot of times I want to make this clear. A lot of times people will tell me, Jim, I was born a Christian. Do you know how many people told, have told me that over the years? And I've gone, no, you haven't been born a Christian. There has to come a point in your life where you were convicted of your sin and you realized that you were a sinner and the only way out of your sin was through the grace and through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And receiving Him into your life. And believing in Him. And trusting in Him. You're not born a Christian because your parents were. Or because your ancestors were. You have to be born again because you made a decision at that time of accountability. And you accepted Jesus into your life. Jude gives us three examples. God destroyed those unbelievers whom He brought out of Egyptian bondage. Destroyed the sinful angels They are not above the punishment that God's going to hand out. And then we know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Most people know that story here. But all of these, they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Hell's no joke. No one who's ever in hell will be able to say to God, You put me here. And no one in heaven will be able to say, I put myself here. Jesus did it all. That's why I'm saying, you know what's happening today in marriages and why the divorce rate is as high or higher than it is in the world, than it is in the church? Let me tell you, you know why? It's because people in relationships, even when they're Christian, they believe that it's all about them. It's all about me, myself, and I. It's all about what I want today. And you need to ask the question, it's all about what God wants, and it's all about Him, let me tell you. You stay in that relationship through better for worse. Because it could get worse. Life is tough. Life is a continual journey. Life is a life of perseverance. Life is a life that, that we go through it by the grace and strength that God gives us. And our reliance upon Him. But people today, when the going gets tough, well, let's just go ahead and end this and... Maybe things will get a little bit better. No, it won't get better. It'll get worse, actually. One of the reasons hell's not even thought about in our day is the reluctance of theologians to admit its existence. These testimony of theologians in the Los Angeles Times, June 19, 2002. The tendency to downplay damnation has grown in recent years as churches focus on everyday issues which have proliferated And loyalty to churches has deteriorated. Let me tell you today. Not everybody that approaches the Lord and says, Lord, Lord, you remember me? Not everybody. God, Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. There are people in this immediate vicinity and the old part of League City, Texas today, right around this church, who are not in church. And a lot of them are unsaved. A lot of them are lost. And need salvation through Jesus Christ. Right here. Right down these streets today. Down the streets where I live. And the streets where you live. Let me tell you today. There are many people. That we know. Are going to go out into eternity. Without Jesus Christ. 
unless we do something. One man says the Bible verses on hell are only threats from God to keep us from arriving at such a destiny. One man says in, in the end, love must dissolve all evil. One man says men will be annihilated. The punishment is only temporary. Yeah. One pope said it like this. Hell should not be seen as a fiery underworld, but as, quote, the state of those who freely and definitively separate themselves from God. So what does that mean to me? It means that the biblical subject of hell has been placed on the back burner in favor of preaching on social issues. We need to, we want, you know, we, today there are churches that just want to have their ears tickled by the word. God is saying today this place is real and we need to wake up. We need to be aware of this. We're living in treacherous times today. If people could die just like this, we hear of deaths here in this place today. Some of them, it happened all of a sudden. You hear heart attacks. You hear people today that have never, ever, ever given it a second thought. But hell's a real place. This means in which the world you live in denies there's a place called hell, wherein the wicked, sinful people will dwell throughout all eternity. This means that for many people, hell is a figment of their imaginations, and it certainly isn't a deterrent to living self-centered lifestyle living, wherein God has become a God of convenience. Isn't that true today? Even in the church today, God is a God of convenience. When we get things get painful today, oh, we want to somehow again bolt and run. And God says today, I will help you. I will be your source of whatever it is. I'm the one you need. Don't run away from me. Run into my arms. We have the answer. And people today are looking for that answer. No matter how far you push the subject of hell and eternal punishment out of your mind, it's still there. The testimony of the Scriptures. In the King James Version, the New Testament you'll find three Greek words that are translated by the single English word hell. Hades, there. You have the word Tartarus and also Gehenna. The testimony of Jesus concerning hell. The subject of hell, the prominent teaching of Jesus. And he uses the word Gehenna 11 times and the word Hades four times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So what does that say about hell? First of all, it says it's a place of torment. In Revelation 20.10, he says that those who follow the ways of the world will be cast into the lake of burning sulfur and be tormented day and night forever and ever. It is a place where those who are condemned will never find rest. No sleep will come to you there. You think you get sleepy now and somehow you get worn out? When you go there, there'll be no rest. All the horrible experience experiments that we've seen throughout the world after world wars and different times and all that are nothing to the eternal tortures of hell. Is it a place of darkness there? Remember there about the wedding banquet when Jesus said that those who are not in proper attire covered by his righteousness will be thrown into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this word darkness is the opposite of light. It's a place where God is not present. In Matthew 25, then he will say to them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. Hell is a place that will house Satan and his angels. Hell is a place without the love of God. 
And Matthew 25 again tells us that those on his left at that final day will hear the words, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal lake of fire. It's a place of memory in Luke 16. There you will certainly remember all the times that God begged you to get saved. No one will be able to stand before God and say, I didn't have a chance to get saved. You will remember there will be a memory about that. And you'll know that you rejected the only way out of this. And it'll be too late. And all the times you rejected Him. And you'll look into the faces of your loved ones and remember those evenings that your children crawled up into your lap and said, Daddy, read me a story about Jesus. It's a place of fire. It talks about. So what does it mean to me? What does it mean to you? It means that you really need to start thinking about your relationship with God. That you really make Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior. I pray that you will. If your life isn't right with Him right now. If you haven't been living a lie. Then you need to get it right now here. You don't want to go to a real place called hell. A preacher in the Midwest tells about a young couple in his church who boasted to all their friends and neighbors that they were flying to New York City. They were only going to be able to spend one night there but by the highlight of their trip would be to go see the Broadway play, My Fair Lady. And they were so proud of this and everyone was really impressed because no one else in the small town had ever been to a play on Broadway. And the day came and when they arrived in New York City, they, they took a taxi to the theater where My Fair Lady was playing. And to their dismay, they found that the play was sold out for the night. And they thought, well, what do we do now? Everybody knows that we came to see My Fair Lady. We don't dare tell them that we didn't. And so they found a couple of ticket stubs on the sidewalk and picked them up. They bought a program that describes the various acts of the play. They went home singing, I could have danced all night. And they told everybody that they had gone to see My Fair Lady. This preacher said this. That's right. They had the ticket stubs. They had the program. They had been to the theater. And they knew the music. But the trouble was, is they didn't see the performance. You see, many people today are like that. They may go to church occasionally. We have people here at Easter time. And we have people here today during the Christmas season. And you know, a lot of times I hear people joke about that. And you know, I'll go and I talk to people when I visit with them. They go, Jim, we're, we're non-practicing Christians. Oh. Oh, really? I go, Lord, how am I going to respond to that? But we go to church on Easter. And we go to church at Christmas time. But we just really are not practicing that. You know, the first thing I want to tell you, Jim, is, is that I want to tell you right now, and they'll real adamant would stand there and look at me and say, you don't have to go to church to get saved. And I'll give you, you're exactly right. The church is not going to save you. But the question is, have you made a decision in your heart for Jesus Christ? Because if you have, you'll want to come into the assembly of the believers today. If you're able to physically and you're able to get into a church that preaches the Word of God. And you may say, well, the preacher, he says a lot of things I don't like to hear him say. Well, the Bible may have a lot of things that you sometimes are confronted with also. 
But let me tell you today, the reason the churches are empty is because the way to destruction is wide and there are many that go in. And the way to life is narrow and few that enter in. That way to destruction is wide and there are going to be a lot of people in hell today. Trust me. They don't even know it. They don't realize it today. And so what does that mean? It means that the gate to hell is wide. And the road to hell is broad. And many go in. The gate to life is straight. That is, is tight. And the way is narrow. Jesus said there are few that find it. Most people. Most people are going to reject the message of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we look and we are society that compares ourselves with others so much and say, well, they're living the way that they're living and they look like to me they're having fun. In fact, they don't look like to me that things are going bad for them. But I'm being challenged on the left, on the right. I'm being confronted here and there. And what happens is we become apathetic. We become lukewarm in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we know what the book of Revelation talks about in our lukewarmness. And we begin to wander away from the truth. And before long, we're deep in sin. We're deep in the depths or else we're in despair and depression because the enemy has come in and he said, I've got you right where I want to get you. Because we're not drawing close to Jesus. We're not growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe you'll be surprised for many to wake up in hell. You can be sure that most of the people in hell did not expect to be there. You remember the story of the rich man in Luke 16? He thought Lazarus ought to still be his servant. He was startled to find himself in the flames. Verses 22 and 23 of Luke 16, Jesus told about some who would expect to be saved, but who would be condemned. Many places in the Bible tells us about the tares and the wheat. They said, well, don't we get out there and pull up the tares now? And God said, no, leave the tares amongst the wheat. The tares being symbolic of those who weren't saved. Because at the right time, God will uproot them and pull them out. So there may be tares around us in this place this day. If you've never received Jesus Christ into your life, it may be that you've never been converted. And maybe you felt like that you were born a Christian. Maybe you feel like that that was just, that was it. You know, uh, my parents were, and they walked the walk and all this. The question is, when we stand before God Almighty, He's not going to say, what did your parents believe and how did they walk? He's going to say, how did you walk? Who did you have as your Savior today? There are many people today. You see, on the news, it's telling you any way to heaven. In our culture today, it's saying any way is to get there, but there's only one way. You remember what happened? The Pharisee who went into the temple to pray in Luke 18. He thanked God that he was better than the publican. Was doubtless surprised when he went to hell. He thought he was good. He fasted two days a week. He was a leader in public worship and prayer. Was he, uh, he was a churchgoer. Was he not an honest man paying all his debts? He even tithed all of his income as he reminded the Lord. Yet, he was a lost sinner. Unless he repented before he died, he's in hell. It's very clear then that God's word teaches that multitudes go to hell. They didn't expect it here. 
And the second thing is unsaved people are always wicked there. They can't escape hell without a change. Men are not willing to accept that, but the Bible constantly affirms that it's so here. The wife may believe that her lost husband is such a good man, but God sees his heart. The father and mother may speak of their dear, innocent child. Many mothers told me about their children. Preacher, my my children have never done anything wrong in their lives. Cindy had a lady came into her when she in principal position. And Cindy said, uh, your child is out of control. And she looked at her like she was from, an outer, uh, from outer space. And she looked at her and she said this. She said, uh, my child has never done anything wrong. And I've never said no to my child. And Cindy said, well, it's about time that you did. There is an assault upon the Christian family, upon those principles and foundations today like I've never seen today. Because if you discipline your child, the first thing that comes up is my land that's called CPS. And parents are afraid to discipline their child. Parents. And what happens is they reap the fruit and the fruit's not good when they get older unless they're disciplined when they're young. And that's why we've got a younger generation today who are responding in the way that they're responding today. Rebellious, not wanting any authority over them, and they don't know Jesus. In Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That rich man there, outwardly, he had been a moral, upright, intelligent, lovable man, but in his heart, where God alone could see, he was deliberate, willful, continual, and he was unrepentant. Remember, those who condemned Christ to die and crucified were educated, religious, praying men. They were wolves in sheep's clothing. And let me tell you, it describes the best moral man that could have ever lived who hasn't trusted Christ. Those who have not had a change of heart may appear moral and clean and good, but only so outwardly. We must be born again. Lost men love the darkness. They hate the light. They choose sin. They reject Christ here. The only honest reason any man could ever give for not coming to Jesus is because he loves his sin and will not come to Christ. The light lest his sin be reproved. The lost man's heart is wicked, wicked enough to hate Christ. Men reject Christ purposely, loving sin there. And without that conversion, they will reject God Almighty. Moral people go to hell. They go to hell all the time. They have an unrepentant heart there. Luke 16, that rich man again, doesn't say that he was any more covetousness than anybody else or committed adultery or murder or gambled or drank or swore. His trouble was on the inside. He had a wicked heart. In his heart, he was against God. You know? You know what the devil wants us to do is turn from God. He wants us to hate God. He'll give us some type of view in our hearts and he'll whisper these things because he is relentless to tell us that somehow God is not good all the time. That God doesn't want the very best for you and me. 
He will continue to pepper us with those thoughts today to where eventually if we yield to it and we don't take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, then we'll yield to it. And here we go. It's a slippery slope. In hell, because they didn't repent. He pleaded with Abraham to send Lazarus to testify to his five brothers, lest they come to this place. And in his conversation, he said, if one went to them from the dead, they repent. Remember, they said, no, they're not going to repent. They're not going to do it. So, we turn from our sins. We turn to Jesus. We ask Him to come into our heart, knowing He will forgive when we run to Him. Knowing that He will forgive. He will deliver us from our sin. You need not be lost. If you're lost, it's your own fault. My own heart has been deeply stirred and burdened as I thought about this all week. No one, obviously, needs to go to hell. God is concerned. And He wants everybody to come to repentance. And that's why He's slow in making the judgment, I believe. And the Word of God is very plain about that. He wants all to come to repentance. He wants the Muslims. He wants the Buddhists. He wants every religion to turn to him. Somebody once said, well, you know, just like the American Indians, well, they, they are every, all of it is one God. Allah is the same God as Jehovah God. No, he's not either. He is not. And neither is the American Indian God either. They're all, they have their own God. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. It's Jehovah God. And unless we repent, We'll face the same damnation of those who are good people. We try to make, trying to treat everybody right and kind. I know I've used this as an illustration, but I'll close with this. When I walk, there's a lady that walks her dog, and I was walking beside her, and we were talking about the Lord. She said, Jim, I was a, I was a non-practicing Catholic for a long time. But something started to happen to me and she started to have some experiences that, and realizing that she needed to turn her life over to Jesus. And I said, that's great. That's fantastic. God's drawing you. He's doing something. And he said, I believe, she said, I believe that things are going to get really bad here. And I said, yeah, there are. He said, but my family doesn't know Jesus. I assumed during that time that she was non-practicing that maybe there was none of that teaching. There was none of that church going and hearing the word of God. But he said, she said this. She said, you know, my, my son, especially, he's a good man. He's a good man and he's very kind. And I know she uses the word kind. He's very kind and he's very giving and he's doing this. And I said, yes, ma'am, he may be. But I said, he's lost and he needs Jesus Christ in his life. Well, how do I get him to do that? I said, you've got to pray for him. And you've got to witness to him as the Lord leads you. But you as a mother have to pray for your adult children and your grandchildren. Because we're living at a time where these things could begin to culminate very quickly. And I believe they are. And I know you do too. And the cry of God, not only to Israel, but to all of mankind is in Ezekiel 33. It says, Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord... I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, 
but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn you from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? God is calling sinners to repent. Because you need not go to hell. He's calling people. And if you know the Lord, then obviously the Spirit of God in your life and my life can use us to proclaim His goodness. But when we look in the eyes of those that maybe it be that we love them and we know they're lost, I pray that God would give you the unction to be able to look at them and, and say, do you want to know my Lord Jesus Christ? And you say, yeah, but you say that, won't that be a little bit bold or won't that be sort of out of line here and so forth? I want to tell you today, God's full of grace and mercy. If you're willing to witness and testify to him today, he'll take care of the problems that you face and you're witnessing. He's just looking for people like you and me to be bold in our faith, not arrogant and not obnoxious, but very, very determined because we know hell is a real place. And we know time is short. And I don't think we really know how short it is. Maybe today if you've never received Jesus. Maybe today is the day. Maybe today that you're saying I, I, I'm not sure. I want to make it for sure. I want to be sure of this in my life. Today, today you would just open your heart to him and say. Lord Jesus. I want to I nail this down. And I want you in my life as my Lord and Savior. Come into my life and forgive me. And be my Lord and Savior. If you know him, it may be that you're praying for your loved ones. And you know it looks like no way will they give their heart to Jesus. Let me tell you today. I pray. That God would give us a spirit of perseverance to pray and cry out to him until we see our friends, our family, our neighbors, and this nation turn back to God. Yes. I believe that this is what God wants. He wishes none to perish, but for all to come to repentance. It's a real place. It's a place that I don't want anybody to go to. And the old, I believe it was Charles Finley, a revivalist preacher back in the 1800s. He made this statement, and I'll paraphrase it basically. Is that you and I as Christians need to somehow, those that are running right straight to hell, would somehow throw our bodies in front of them. That they'll have to make every effort to jump over us, to go around us or whatever, to get into hell. But that we do all we can to block them from getting into hell. Today is the day to make that commitment. This is where I stand. And I stand with you, Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name. We pray that you would forgive us of our sins. Forgive me, Lord. And give us the grace to repent, a gift 
of repentance in our hearts that we would repent and turn away from those sins and turn to Jesus. And we pray today, Father, for those that are lost, those who have never been saved in this neighborhood, and those we meet on a regular basis, and we know they're not saved. We pray today for them, dear God, that you would give them a heart that's pliable, that's malleable, that, dear God, that's kept me formed by you. And that, dear God, we somehow would speak up and share our faith with others and be determined and persistent without backing down because we're living in these days that's crucial. And we know that hell is a real place. We thank you for Jesus. We don't have to go there. I pray today that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord as we repent. And dear God, today that we be encouraged as we're following after Jesus. But dear God, today always keeping in the forefront for those that are lost and those that need to be saved. We come to you and we bow and we exalt you. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.